0: Waves, a podcast discussing all things strange. I'm John. I'm Ami. And over here we got
1: <laughs>
0: Lily Put. As always, make sure and check the show notes for today's references, our social media info, um, as well as our email. If you want to send in any story you have that, that maybe relates to today's topic, send it to anomalouswaves at gmail.com. And today I will be discussing auditory-induced altered states. I'm following up from the vocal mimicry and kind of going into some other weird auditory stuff.
1: That was quite the mouthful. I am going to be talking about some haunted lighthouses.
0: Not as much as a mouthful, but sounds terrifying.
1: In spooky news, we have a story about a creepy Google Earth image. and. The return of Jetpack Guy.
0: And we'll end the episode with a movie review of Dolls from 1987.
1: If you want to support the show, become a Patreon or do a one-time donation. Whatever suits you.
0: You can find those links in the show notes or just go to patreon.com slash anomalous waves.
1: If you join, you get a shout out from the lily putt, and you get a monthly spooky newsletter
0: and at the anomalous waiver tier you also get access to our patreon only series randomly generated rabbit holes
1: thank you for tuning in to another episode of anomalous waves
0: episode I discussed mimicry and more specifically the mimicking of human voices. The majority of the cases either seem to be attempting to get the witnesses attention or even leading them somewhere. Now I'll play one of the stranger examples that we recorded for our latest A Stormy Night with John and Ami. This is another one of our patreon perks. Where Ami and I read spooky stories to you during a thunderstorm. I actually captured that audio during, you remember, the wildest lightning and thunderstorm in Seattle history.
1: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we had
0: both doors open, front and back, and it yeah. was just.
1: Because we grew up with thunderstorms, but I've never experienced a thunderstorm really over here. Like, once in 2007, I remember, we're visiting some family friends and we're being in the hot tub. And I could see like the lightning and I could hear the thunder rolling in. But this storm topped it. Oh, my gosh.
0: Topped everyone. It was like it was crazy. So all the recordings you hear from that is from that night. This is a just prime example of kind of the vocal mimicry luring thing. This happened around 20 to 25 years ago. I don't remember the exact year. I must have been around 10 to 13 years old and my older brother is two years older than me. When I was a kid every year for Easter school holidays, my family would go out camping on some land that my grandparents own. The best thing about it was having somewhere to legally ride our motorbikes. My older brother and I would often jump on our bikes and head off riding around the property together racing, and making up silly games. One year we were both out riding, but had gone separate ways. So at this time I was on my own with nobody else anywhere in sight. Suddenly I heard a voice say my name. I heard it clearly over the sound of the two-stroke bike engine, and it didn't sound muffled through my helmet. It sounded more like it was being spoken directly into my ear, or as if I had a headphone or earbud in my ear. At first I disregarded it, thought it was some strange interaction of the exhaust sound, the ear cavity of the helmet, and the wind blowing across the helmet visor. Basically some kind of auditory illusion. But I heard it again, and again. A woman's voice calmly saying my name as if to get my attention. It would occur when I was riding in one small area and nowhere else. I'd say the area was a radius of 50 meters to 75 meters. It was an area where we had to pass through to get from camp to the motorbike trails and back. The voice persisted for days in the same spot, and it increased its vocabulary. It would sometimes say my name. It would sometimes say, come home. And it would sometimes say, come to me, John. It started to creep me out. And I would feel anxious when approaching the area where it would happen. After a few days and me not saying anything about it to anyone, I was out riding with my brother and he signaled for me to stop and pulled up right in the middle of the area I had been hearing the voice. He turned his bike off and removed his helmet, so I did the same. We then had a short conversation where he asked if I had been hearing anything weird, and if so, what? I told him I had been hearing a voice. He went pale. I described the voice, and he said that it matched what he was hearing. I asked what the voice was saying to him, and he told me it would say his name and call him to come to it. We rode back and told our parents. Dad came out riding in the area with us. He didn't hear anything, and we didn't hear anything while he was there either. We kept hearing the voice over the next few days, always saying the same things. I remember this happening just the one year. But I brought it up with my brother recently and he seems to think it also happened in the same place the following year." Okay, so in that story, both brothers seem to hear a woman's voice calling on them to come home and, like, luring them somewhere. This is, you know, one example of someone feeling lured or drawn or beckoned somewhere but there's another response that is really common to sounds attributed to strange phenomena and that is acute stress response more commonly known as fight or flight Mm -hmm. so your body's natural reaction you know to danger it's important for survival but certain noises can elicit a response and it can linger for hours. I'm obviously not gonna get into like the science of it. It's not that kind of show, (laughs) but I will link a video that, you know, talks about kind of what happens and really common sounds that trigger this adrenal event in us. So some of the sounds that it talks about are Loud bangs, of course, crashes, Mm -hmm. screams, ghoulish sounds, rising tones or tones that like rise in pitch over time, slowly, um, alarms, you know, like tornadoes come in, those kind, and animal growls. So all those kind of trigger this fight or flight response where, you know, your adrenaline starts going.
1: Cat yells used to really trigger my fight or flight, because we'd have a bunch of, like, feral cats where I grew up, and you could hear them yelling, like, fighting or play fighting with each other and getting mad. But it got to the point where I'm like, it doesn't scare me anymore. It happened too often. Desensitized. And i in, like, a scary movie, and everybody really play it. I'm like, that's nothing. I can sleep through that.
0: I did read a story where someone was hearing a meowing in the woods, but it sounded kind of like a person meowing. <laughs> It's really meow. it's really scary, actually. <laughs> Imagine if you're just in the woods and you hear a person making meowing noises.
1: I'd be like, that's not a meow. I'll show you a meow.
0: <laughs> so, you know, very often these types of sounds that it lists in these fight or flight category are experienced throughout tons of cases of high strangeness. So last time, you know, I talked about that John Keel report where... You know he heard the baby crying after his weird event
2: mm-hmm.
0: but i'm like i i just got to get more into the actual case because i just mentioned such a small part of it but it's a really weird case so this happened on july 18th 1967 the witness's name is reverend anthony de polo and it was in boardman ohio So, once again, I'll have a link to the whole report, but I'll just read the kind of story section. At about 1.30 a.m. on the morning of July 18th, 1967, Reverend De Polo was awakened by a very loud noise, the type you hear on television science fiction programs. This oscillating sound began at a low pitch and then rose to a high whine until it was no longer audible. However, he said that he continued to experience pressure in his eardrums, and he assumed that the sound had risen above 20,000 cycles per second, the range of human hearing. This strange noise followed this pattern, rising and falling, three or four times. At a certain point in the curve of the sound, he distinctly felt that a mental message was somehow being conveyed to him. This message was more of a feeling than actual words, but he interpreted it to mean, go downstairs. He headed for the stairs, curious but unafraid. When he reached the foot of the stairs, he looked out a window facing west, and there, standing in the driveway between his house and his neighbors, he saw what he later described as a five foot tall figure wearing a luminous space suit. The surrounding glow made the figure very distinct. At first, he thought that some neighborhood children might be playing a prank of some sort, but he noted that the neighbor's house was dark and he realized that the glowing suit would be a hard effect to create. Something compelled him to step out onto his porch and take a closer look at this strange being. The eerie whine began again, and he received a second message, which he says stated, You have nothing to fear. I will not harm you, and I know you will not harm me. He started to step toward the figure when the whining sound began again, and he received a third message. Danger, I must go. At this point, Reverend De Polo looked up at the sky. There was no spaceship in sight, but he noticed that the sky was strangely illuminated. Like the light from a mercury vapor lamp, such as they use on the turnpike. A fourth message was passed on to him, and he is not willing to divulge its contents. When he returned his eyes to the driveway, the spaceman was gone. In the exact spot where he had been standing, there was a formless blob of light, not figure-shaped, which faded out and vanished in a short while. Reverend De Polo claims that he was completely unafraid throughout this experience, that he went directly back to bed without saying anything to his wife about it. I fell asleep immediately, he noted. He decided the next day to say nothing about this incident unless other witnesses came forward and reported the same thing. Pretty weird. Yeah. Um, A message being received, but he said it wasn't like words, it was like a feeling. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to happen during certain curves in the sound. Yeah. So it would, the pitch would raise really high and then go low and kind of in between. It seemed like that's when he was getting the messages. Really weird. The other weird thing is completely unafraid and he went right to bed. Yeah. So curious, but completely unafraid, receiving a message. This high, this weird oscillating sound, and you know, human hearing is like twenty hertz to twenty thousand hertz or whatever's the range. So that's what he was talking about: was that it went so high that it was no longer audible. Couldn't hear it, but he could feel the pressure in his ears. <sighs> so um, then I was like, very new episode of Strange Familiars, episode two hundred and fifty-five. So you know, I talk about. Where the Footprints End quite a bit. No. I'm going to again. (laughs) But Timothy Renner and Joshua Kutchin wrote that. But Strange Familiars is Timothy Renner's podcast. He had this guy on named Jim. So Jim is from Ireland. He's from a small village. And he talks about this thing that happened in this one specific area. He doesn't want to, like, give away where it is exactly just for yeah, anonymity. I get it. But um, it it's in this kind of one section of the village specifically. And when he was around 10 or 11, like him and his friends would go and like kind of camp at each other's houses in the yard and then kind of sneak out of the tent and go around the village and smoke cigarettes and <laughs> kind of do whatever.
2: Rambunctious. Yeah.
0: One of their friends had a um, – their dad owned like a shop or something. And so sometimes they would go around there. Um, But he talks about they're they're at that friend's house. His name's Dave. And they're back there just being little kids camping, you know. And um, all of a sudden, you know, through the field, they're looking down through this field and to the left, they start hearing the sound of a woman wailing. Not scary. Not like they're in distress or traumatic. Just a very gentle, faint sound of a woman wailing very consistent. He said it moved. I'm getting goosebumps. (laughs) You got to listen to the whole episode because his stories are wild. He said it moved like down the road and around like this way that didn't make sense. And it was was kind of like behind where they were at now, but like heading towards the front of the house because they're in the back, you know, and it's kind of behind them now. And it's getting closer, the wailing. And then they can hear footsteps down the road. And they all go into the tent and they can hear the gate open. And then there's a dog on the side of the house and it starts losing its mind. He says it starts going mad. And then it just stops. So then they're all in the tent and they're all kind of like huddling together. Yeah. Super scared. And he says he remembers... You know, knowing they're right outside the tent and could even see, like, a hand kind of on the front area of where the tent was. And then the next thing he knows, he puts his head in his pillow and falls asleep. And all the kids fall asleep. What? Yeah. He says, I know that doesn't make sense, but that's what he did.
1: It's like Mr. Sandman Boom, they just all
0: passed out. And then after... Um, you know, the next morning, dog's fine. All the kids passed out at the same time, apparently. And yeah, everything was fine. Nothing weird, but obviously pretty traumatic event. Like he was saying, he just tries not to think about it, but he was thinking about it for the episode. And mm-hmm. he was getting scared just thinking about it. He had a second experience. This time it was around 2 a.m., uh, the kids came over throwing stones at the window to try to get him to sneak out again so they could do their thing. So he snuck out with them and they um, said that like there was someone in his uncle's car and that they could hear this lady calling them. They all went and then they went to like this church and they were smoking cigarettes and doing their thing. They're outside this church. They start hearing the wailing. The same wailing sound, very consistent, very gentle, non-threatening. And once again, it's traveling down a road and then veers left, kind of does the same thing that it did when they were in the backyard. So the older kid, Dave, David, I think he was a little older, Mm -hmm. looked pretty much in that direction and then like yelled and then just said, run. And they all ran And went to David's house, climbed up his window. I guess his brother was playing Sega Genesis or Dreamcast (laughs) or something and was like, what are you doing, you know, like freaking out. And they all go in there and um, they hear the door open like they climbed upstairs in a window, I think. But there was like a side door, like a metal door they had to go in to get into the kind of area of where the house was. And they heard it rip open and someone just going kind of wild down there. And then finally, like, there was a coast clear and they all ran home kind of thing. Another experience he was playing, he said he remembers Tekken 2 came out. And they start hearing a moaning outside again. But this time, it was more like guttural Uh. and disturbing And really scared them, but they both just passed out. They said this thing was going on outside, and all of a sudden they both just passed out again. What? Now it was super late. They were playing video games a bunch, but if you're that fight or flight, terrified, just to pass out is really strange. Yeah. And he described, you know, the more gentle one as if like you're holding a note on a keyboard of of a sample of a woman like gently wailing cuz there was no breaths no gap it was just constant
2: Ew.
0: yeah so going back to where the footprints end the thing that is interesting to me about this is obviously the passing out and going to sleep just like the kill report the guy was very calm and then he just went upstairs and just went to sleep yeah and then you know and there was a weird noise a kind of high-pitched ringing that went back and forth almost maybe kind of like a whaling or something and where the footprints end volume one there is some stuff about like sleeping and altered states and this other kind of stuff um, and it even mentions uh the sandman has origins as frightening scandinavian nursery bogle who used magic to induce drowsiness so it's funny that you mentioned Sandman because it's right on the screen. I
1: wish Mr. Sandman can visit me at night because I can never go to sleep. <laughs> Actually, I don't. I take that back.
0: So this is, yeah, from the uh, extra or from the UFO section of where the footprints end. So it talks about both the inability to remain awake and the unawakable sleeper motif appear commonly in alien abductions. In one example, a newlywed experiencer interviewed by Anne Druffel claimed her husband was a light sleeper, but would not stir when loud humming sounds filled their bedroom prior to abductions despite her efforts. More unsettlingly, experiencer and author Mike Cleland recalled an incident in early 1993 when he awoke to see five spindly entities with skinny bodies and big black eyes, walking toward the house on his lawn, backlit by a blinding light. My response to this frightening image was to nonchalantly lay my head down on the pillow and promptly fall back asleep. He wrote, shouldn't I have jumped out of bed screaming in terror? But instead, I felt absolutely empty of emotion. It was almost as if I was somehow controlled. I calmly thought to myself, oh, yes, they're here. Let's just shut down and black out. So that's Mike Cleland. Uh, He wrote The Messengers, the book about the owl synchronicities that I mentioned in the very first episode. Uh I called him Mike Cleland. It's Mike Cleland. I was nervous. So this is in, like, uh, the, the fairies section. While scouring the mountain for a crashed airplane during World War II, Peter Densham and Richard Frere experienced numerous anomalies, including otherworldly music. The silence of the mountain was violated by an intensely high singing note, Frere said, a sound which was just within the oral capacity, which never rose or fell. This is strikingly similar to a sound noted at the Sierra Camp by Alan Berry, a high-pitched whining akin to a tuning fork being struck. So that's the Sierra camp as the Sierra sounds. I know you've heard samurai chatter and stuff like that.
2: Yes, I have. But they, they at night.
0: talk about that too. So this like loud, constant tone, mm-hmm. right? This one didn't raise or lower. Very constant. Sounds kind of similar to the wailing lady as well. In August 1956, several Argentinian prospectors huddled around a campfire in a raging thunderstorm and spotted a tall, hairy figure lurking at the camp's edge. It shrieked, and the prospectors fled down the mountain, noting what sounded like the ringing of bells. So a lot of these weird musical, tonal, bell kind of sounds all over the place.
1: You know, Lily would scare me when she was a puppy because when we got her, she was so tiny. She was only barely a pound. We got worried about it, so we got her a little bell to wear around her neck. But then sometimes I'd fall asleep. She sleeps in the bed with me. And then she'd get up because she was a puppy. In the middle of the night, she'd get up and be walking around my room. But it was terrifying because I'd be in the dark, just hear a little bell coming from the closet.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. It was
1: in my closet. I was like, what is that? She had gotten trapped in the closet. And then
0: the it was Lily.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know. She was just like, help me. (laughs) I snooped too long.
0: Many of these auditory elements seem to trigger an altered state, whether it's a trance or fight or flight or even sleep. Whatever it is, witnesses time and time again describe these auditory experiences while also having feelings of extreme dread sometimes overwhelming calmness, or even reassurance that it's all good. I'm not going to harm you, and you're not going to harm me. The ones that seem a bit creepier to me are the calmness, like Mike Cleland talked of seeing something terrifying and then just going to sleep. Are these altered states brought on by some form of auditory hypnotic suggestion, or are they just symptoms of being in the presence of strangeness? I have absolutely no idea.
1: So we know by now that I love stinky cryptids, cute aliens, and most of all, ghosts. Now, one of my favorite genres of haunts is that of haunted lighthouses, Mm. which I'm not sure if you're aware of that.
0: (laughs) Why? Why so?
1: I think because, well, you and I grew up in the semi-desert climate of central Washington, and we would vacation every summer. You know, my family and I would vacation every summer in Seaside, Oregon.
0: Westport for me.
1: Yeah. And I always look forward to seeing the ocean, getting saltwater taffy, going to the arcade, and seeing some spooky lighthouses. I was really intrigued by lighthouses after you and I visited the Grays Harbor Lighthouse in Westport. Mm, Remember? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was a couple years ago, like what, 2016?
0: You're much better at tracking <laughs> time. It's all mixed around me. Yeah,
1: summer 2016. So, fun fact, John, it is the tallest lighthouse in Washington. Mm. Yeah, tour guide told us
0: okay. Yeah. So. See, I don't remember anything like that either. <laughs> I was probably daydreaming in there. I was like, ooh, the echoes sound cool in here.
1: I remember when we took the tour, we were the only ones. I think it was, it wasn't tour season yet. I think we went right before it hit.
0: Yeah, it was just us in there. Right? Yeah,
1: I remember it was really fun. And the tour guide took us to the very top of the lighthouse, which I uh, relearned is called a lantern room so tour guide if you remember us and you're listening to this
0: for some reason
1: i remember <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i did what i always do i asked if it's haunted <laughs> it's
0: usually a uh, couple minutes in yeah to any sort of conversation at a
1: but yeah our Tour guide he kind of took like a deep breath and then he just said yeah it's haunted. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was disappointed cuz I mean I didn't talk about like the, the architecture of it or he's talking all about what was it the um the floor remember it had a really cool pattern of the tiles he got really into the guy who put the tiles down but I mean, the whole time I was just waiting for my moment, (laughs) to be honest. I'm like, oh, wow, yeah. Did did the tile guy, did he have any weird occurrences here? Like (laughs) haunted variety? (laughs) But anyways, yeah, he said that it was haunted and one of the lighthouse keepers had lived on the grounds with his wife and daughters. The girls were playing at the top floor of the lighthouse when one of them sadly fell Over 100 feet to her death. And ever since then, I guess you can see a child at the lighthouse when nobody is supposed to be in there. And he went on to tell us that he was living on the grounds at the time with his wife and they were off work and they were just going to walk to the beach, you know. But they looked up and in the lantern room, they could see somebody standing up there, Mm. like somebody small. So, of course, they ran over to the lighthouse, unlocked the door, and went up. Nobody was in there. And, I mean, if somebody had been, they had to have gone past him going down the stairs. So. Yeah. Yeah. And he would have seen them leaving as well because they could see the door from where they were. But, yeah, seems like West Coast actually has a number of haunted lighthouses. Mm-hmm. Because the Point Sur Light Station in Big Sur, California, Mm. never would have guessed.
0: Dark Watchers.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. But it is notoriously haunted. The light station opened in 1889. And in an article published by KQED, they interviewed a docent, which is basically a tour guide. Her name is Julie Nunez, and she works at Point Sur Lighthouse. Julie says that there are quite a few ghosts that actually haunt the light station and they wonder if, you know, the breathtaking views is what keeps the ghosts from leaving. Julie frequently brings a tape recorder to work with her and she has caught some EVPs. They're mainly of women. And one of them says, now she wants you to go home. And you can hear a woman say, pokey, go to bed Mm. and you can hear a child's voice just distinctly
0: was it an actual tape recorder yeah like tape
1: uh i don't know probably
0: i think i think they call it avp for analog voice phenomena i was gonna ask you what type of uh tape recorder she had but
1: moving on john (laughs) So they believe the voice of the woman telling Pokey to go to bed is that of a woman named Catherine, who's married to a lighthouse keeper. They had a daughter named Pokey, who you can, who I said, you can sometimes hear the faint voice of. Now, Julie has made it a habit of knocking on doors before entering them, and she likes to announce herself out of respect for the spirits that still called lighthouse home.
0: Good to call. Yeah. I've heard of other, like, tour guides that do that when they have to, like, when they're, like, the groundskeeper, like, they go at night. They'll mm-hmm. be like, hey, I'm coming in here to clean.
1: Yeah. She just kind of <laughs> answers herself, like, oh, it's Julie. Can we come in? Yeah. And she says that she doesn't get bad vibes at all from any of the spirits there. Probably because.
0: Her respect. Yeah. She's not inviting them to scratch her. Yeah. <sighs> Come at me, bro. Yeah.
1: So I remember what I'm saying. The life of a lighthouse keeper was pretty isolated. So at this lighthouse in particular, all supplies had to be shipped in because roads were actually miles away. So you had to walk miles to get to the road that would go to town. Mm. Yeah. Now, there is another spirit at this location by the name of Ruth, and she likes to hang out in the kitchen. She kind of seemed to have been a cook in her lifetime. And she likes to close the kitchen doors, actually. And I guess they remodeled the doors to look like how they did in the 1950s. Now, I don't know if that's when she would have lived there or if it was just prior to that. They Mm. didn't really give a timeline. Now, another volunteer by the name of Sheila says she was a skeptic until she had an encounter. Sheila volunteers to clean the headlight housekeeper's house every Thursday. Now usually she is the only one in the building at the time. And one morning she was putting away the vacuum when she heard something downstairs. She looked down at the stairway landing and she says that she saw a woman. She was turn of the century. Had her hair up was maybe 30s to early 40s, and she had long sleeves and a poofy long skirt. She turned and looked up at me, and then she was gone, said Sheila. Wow. Yeah.
0: It's always like that era.
1: Yeah, it is, kind of Victorian. Why? I don't know. It I think that's why
0: me. I'm always like so, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm kind of a s- skeptical of this kind of stuff because i'm like why is that era the only one that's like making ghosts
1: i don't know maybe because they didn't have a lot to see then so they came back to see more it reminded me of number one we went to friday harbor and we heard that friday harbor was really haunted we went to the bookstore where the woman said that she came in early to open the shop and In the front window, you can sit there. She just saw a woman, kind of in Victorian clothes, just sitting there who turned to look at her and she just thought a customer had been let in early. And when she looked back, she was gone.
0: It's very common, like a little instant thing.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It's interesting. So this lighthouse is actually no stranger to disasters. One of the worst ones it saw was that of the Los Angeles, which sank in 1894, and it claimed the lives of six people, some of whom were women and children. Now, the spirits of those lost at sea or in the area are thought to have wandered ashore to this lighthouse. And it includes like sailors, young children, and there is a particular man who wears a navy blue suit. Now, this man has been cited by... Many visitors who say that they've seen him walking through the visitor's center. Mm. Now, they think there could be up to, like, 20 spirits in and around the lighthouse. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Just from, like, consistent reports? Yeah, from
1: consistent reports. And I think that of people who volunteer to
0: Hmm.
1: work there. So now this last lighthouse is the creepiest. (laughs) Thousands of miles away on the other side of the country is the Cape Lopen State Park, which is in Delaware. Now, this park is six miles of coastline. And it is said at night, you can see a really bright light flashing from the state park, which is odd because there is no lighthouse in the area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Now it is called the corpse light. It is on the mouth of the Delaware River, and it was spotted around 250 years ago.
0: Hmm.
1: Now, the phantom light is said to lure unsuspecting sailors to their death.
0: Sounds like a ghost light, maybe.
1: Yeah, it is a ghost light.
0: Does it describe the...
1: It's just bright and flashing.
0: Just bright and flashing.
1: Yeah, you can just see it sometimes at night. Okay, so there was a lighthouse in the area on Cape Lopen, but it was in a different part of the park and it was destroyed in 1925. Now this lighthouse was actually destroyed several times in the American Revolution. So the legend of the Corp Light says that on Christmas Day in 1665, a ship known as the Devonshireman followed the beaming light of the non-existent lighthouse to the rocky shore of Cape Henlopen and more than 200 men died in the wreck. And it said you can see the doomed ship appear and reenact the crash periodically. The curse also called for the destruction of all European ships that enter the American shores. Now, the Mystery Tribune says there is another legend that comes from Native American storytellers. Ooh, now, air sa- quotes. Yeah. I've said it once. I'll say it again. I hate it when things just say Native American. It takes just a couple minutes to look up and see what tribe is in your area. I mean, they even made an app now where you can see the homelands of all the tribes. But by looking it up, I believe it is the Lenape tribe. They don't reside there anymore, but they were there during this time period. I'm pretty sure if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. It is said that the light is from a curse that this tribe did to lure ships to their doom after some British soldiers stormed a tribal wedding ceremony 350 years ago and brutally murdered many of the guests.
0: Wow. So it seems like more like they're just like historically feeling guilty. Of this, And then they just say there was a curse. Yeah. There had to have been a curse because they're like, it was so messed up. There had to have been a curse.
1: Yeah. I mean, who else would curse European ships once they enter American shores that were really non-existent yet? (laughs) I know. They always blame things on a Native American curse. I Mm -hmm. mean, I think it might have just been a rumor. I could not find any kind of tribal legend from this tribe or from... The other tribe that was around this area. So, I don't know. It could be just some anonymous light. It's strange because I guess you can still see this light today. Like every once in a while, you can see it there.
0: Wow. Mystery lights.
1: Yeah. The idea of this corpse light is pretty terrifying. I just can't imagine being lost on the water losing hope, and then finally seeing the promising light in the dark, only for the light to lead you to your death. Corpse light is hardcore. I give this one a 10 out of 10 on the spooky scale. Straight up wrath is oozing from this state park.
0: The FBI is investigating reports of a possible jetpack man sighting. It was 15 miles east of LAX, at an altitude this time of 5,000 feet. The jetpack guy was spotted late last month by a commercial airline pilot. The Federal Aviation Administration spokesperson told newspapers, out of an abundance of caution, air traffic controllers alerted other pilots in the vicinity. FBI spokesperson Laura E. Miller says the agency has already looked into three other possible Jetpack guy sightings in the skies above Los Angeles and has not been able to validate any of the reports.
1: When searching for Google Street photos, you can find pictures of cats, people in masks, people painting, and even stunning rainbows. What you don't want to see is images of scary clowns. While looking at Google Earth, one user found a clown hiding under a bridge in New York. The figure was spotted in a popular spot in Ithaca, New York, under a highway bridge along the Cayuga Waterfront Trail. In the picture, you can see beams, concrete slabs, pop cans, wrappers, and in the dark corner of the bridge, a white Clown like face peering at you. Could it be an optical illusion? Did someone paint a clown as a joke? What is under the bridge along the waterfront? <laughs>
0: Next movie review we discuss dolls from 1987 a dysfunctional family of three stopped by a mansion during a storm father stepmother and child the child discovers that the elderly owners are magical toy makers and have a haunted collection of dolls written by Ed Naha directed by Stuart Gordon and uh, starring Ian Patrick Williams, Carolyn Purdy Gordon, Carrie Lorraine. Get right into a little bit of the plot.
1: <laughs> she spends summers with her dad. Seems like right away they set it up to let you know her parents are divorced. Judy. She's like, Judy's like, what, six?
0: I don't know. I'm not good at ages, but yeah, somewhere th- in there. I
1: think she's about six.
0: Okay.
1: Spending the summer with dad and his
0: and stephan- wife. Yeah.
1: Who's not a nice lady. Awful. They're driving in the English countryside, but they're from Boston? I'm pretty sure. Maybe just Judy's from Boston. Yeah. But they get a flat tire in the middle of nowhere.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: In the middle of a storm.
0: In the middle of a storm. Classic setup.
1: Was it a flat tire? Did they just get stuck in something?
0: Oh, I think they might just got stuck. I think they
1: just got stuck in something. Yeah, because he
0: was trying to push.
1: Yeah, I remember.
0: And then he said something about wanting some help back Mm -hmm. there. But I'm like, who's going to push on the gas if they're both pushing? Whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Well, then the stepmom gets mad, Mm -hmm. chucks Judy's beloved Teddy into like the woods or something, right? Yep. And then we see Judy's imagination, and it's very violent. (laughs) Teddy comes out 10, what, 10 foot tall?
1: Yeah, 10 foot tall, rabid Teddy.
0: Rabid Teddy rips out of his Teddy costume-looking thing and rips him to shreds. Yep. And we we think it's real until they tap on her, and then we see that she was just imagining it. So she just has a really wild imagination. Their car's stuck right in front of a, a big, creepy mansion. Yeah. So they go to it, and they go in like through the back way.
1: Well, they knock on the door, and nobody answers. So they're like, let's just break in through the basement.
0: Yeah, let's just... Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's what <laughs> so everybody does, right? That's the next logical you step. you can't get in. The, the main man of the house, um, Gabriel, he uh, comes out with a shotgun. Yeah. But then you find out it's more just because... They didn't go to the front of the house. Mm-hmm. He's a nice guy. English gentleman.
1: <laughs> Movie filmed in Italy. English countryside, though.
0: Mm-hmm. And his uh, wife, Hillary. They have this big, cool house. It's kind of... It's a pretty interesting house. Yeah, it is. And uh, he's very, like, proper. He's rocking, like, a robe. They're super nice. They just invite him in. Yeah. Make, make him some soup. Yeah. Right away, trusting him, and um, you find out that Gabriel is a doll maker, mm-hmm. and he gives Judy punch doll, calls it punch, but it looks kind of like a jester. Yeah, it does. Kind of that moon face
1: with kind of a crookedy back.
0: So this movie has a bunch of kind of like fairyish, elf, little people references.
1: Yeah, it does
0: which was really, I thought, perfect because our newest randomly generated rabbit holes is about the mythology of little people, and we kind of talk about some of this stuff. Yeah, then we see some other characters. So uh, let's talk about some of the characters. We already talked about Judy and her parents, Mm -hmm. who pops in just a little bit later while they're eating soup.
1: Late to the party.
0: Ralph and these two English punk girls.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Who look like they were supposed to be in a Madonna music video.
0: Yeah, very much so. And, you know, we find out the punk girls are kind of just trying to, like, steal whatever they can from anywhere.
1: Enid and Isabel.
0: And Ralph's super nice.
1: Yeah, he's really sweet.
0: Right away, we see the toy maker and his wife show interest in specifically Judy and Ralph. Yeah. Judy's a kid. She's innocent and sweet. And Ralph is kind of like a kid at heart. Mm -hmm. So they set them all up with their own rooms, including Judy. She gets her own room. And the parents were just like, sounds great.
1: Yeah, don't even go to see what room (laughs) she's in. I know. Parents of the year. I
0: know. They're really awful. Um, Then, you know, we start to see some of the dolls. Yeah. And there's a lot of cool effects going on with the dolls. Yeah. There's like stop motion stuff going on. A lot of the classic eyes moving. Yep. All that kind of stuff. Kind of like little fangy looking teeth.
1: Little teeth Yeah,
0: you see them randomly. So what what was the Madonna punk girl's name?
1: Well, there was two, Enid and Isabel.
0: Okay. I can't remember who was who.
1: I think Isabel was the blonde.
0: Okay. So she was the one that went kind of looking for things to steal. Mm-hmm. And after that. You know, the dolls we see, they come to life. They do. And they like grabbed her and then like slammed her into yeah. the wall over and over again. And uh, Judy sees her. Mm-hmm. And you know, at first, I think Judy's not even sure if she actually saw it because her imagination's so wild. Yeah, but she tries to tell her dad, Dad's just like, shut up, get out of here. He
1: tries to hit her.
0: Yeah, he's he's the worst. So then she goes and tells Ralph. Mm-hmm. And that's where they become buddies. buddies. And, you know, throughout it, we see that the dolls are kind of making their own like judgments on the characters.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Kind of see like the bad characters are the ones yeah. that are. Yeah,
1: you can see the that are, bad at heart.
0: Yeah. If they're bad at heart, bad stuff starts happening to them. And when Ralph goes to tell the toy maker, he says something about, like, he was painting a room or something. So you're like, he knows knows. what's going on. Some of the sound effects, like the doll kind of whispers, really remind me of, like, uh, the the Mogwai sounds from Gremlins.
1: Do you know who the whispering sounds were done by? Mm -mm. Stuart Gordon's friends and family, mainly his kids and his wife.
0: Wow. And then did they, like, pitch them?
1: (laughs) They must have. Yeah.
0: Because it was just so, like, (laughs) It was weird. This is is my version of uh, the doll chattering.
1: I was looking up facts about the movie, and I was cracking up, because I was like, wait, hold up. Did Bunty Bailey who plays Isabel write this fact? Cause it says actress and model Bunty Bailey who plays Isabel is the gorgeous girl in the Norwegian pop group Aha's music video for Aha Take On Me. <laughs> like, Bunty, did you write that? <laughs> the
0: gorgeous Take on Me? Yeah. That's a that's an awesome song.
1: hmm Yeah, this is actually her film debut was this movie i guess the um guy who played ralph stephen lee they asked him to improvise his comical moments
0: Mm. we did really good at like playing like goofy yeah kind of gave me a sean astin vibe oh yeah but yeah i like i liked him quite a bit you know we we gave a lot away about it's alive And I enjoyed talking about it, but I'm kind of like, with dolls, I think I don't want to give away the kind of twist about it. But you do get to see some cool, they're called like, I think called bladder bag effects. You know, like even in gremlins where their backs are like bubbling
2: or like uh, during
0: werewolf transformation scenes or anything, things will start poofing up. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it would just get out of control. But there's a pretty good transformation scene in this, and it has some of that that kind of poofing out stuff going on, and I really enjoy it.
1: So the director, Stuart Gordon, is a lot like you. He's afraid of dolls.
0: So he's like trying to conquer it or what?
1: No, oh, Maybe he just thought.
0: Immersion therapy?
1: The idea of killer dolls was terrifying.
0: It is terrifying. It is super terrifying. And these aren't like Chucky dolls. These are like little porcelain, extra little kind of dolls.
1: Yeah, I guess. And it took nearly a year in the editing room due to the dolls' effects that they had to do in post-production. Because a lot of the time when you can see the dolls, if they're like moving and everything, the puppeteer's hands and strings were visible, Mm. which was really hard to hide. So they had to find, like, really creative ways using, like, lighting and film reel with, like, magic marker to hide it.
0: Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, because there was, like, hundreds of dolls. This isn't, like, two dolls. No. There's, like, so many. A buttload. And they're vicious and they're killer. So you better be good at heart. The music was by Fuzby Morse. And it's a mixture of... These plucky harp kind of sounds that go really kind of lighthearted, like family kind of vibes, and then will turn super quick, paced and sinister. And there's a lot of synthesizers in there too. I enjoyed it. Here's kind of an idea based off of Fuzby Morse's work. Now, there's a documentary called Toys of Terror, The Making of Dolls, but I think it's only on, like, this special Blu-ray collector's edition Mm. that is super sold out. I was trying to find it. I really want to see it because I think it'll be a lot about that post-production stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because they use several different kinds of ways to film the dolls, so.
0: Any, like, extreme effort like that for practical effects. I love it.
1: So the actress Carrie Lorraine, who played Judy Bauer, she had been in Poltergeist 2, but this movie listed her as it being her first movie. But it was her last movie. She grew up to be a criminal defense lawyer. Hmm.
0: I thought she would have been a doll maker in the English countryside.
1: But the criminal defense lawyer kind of makes sense because she had some really good argue points in the movie is destined
0: (laughs) she was always making a case she was for ralph specifically because the dad thought ralph was being a weirdo because he was hanging out with his daughter
1: when he was really just trying to survive the night
0: he was really just like sir i don't know what's going on
1: but yeah yeah it was supposed to this movie is supposed to have a sequel and they kind of had this great idea where it was going to be judy years later
0: mm-hmm. it was very foreshadowed the yeah. ending it was like come visit us later for summer you know summer yeah. vacation
1: yeah sometime in the future yeah they had this whole idea and the movie didn't do terrible so i'm not sure why they scrapped it maybe somebody will see this movie and be like we gotta make that sequel
0: that's how i felt Because I was like, I want to know. Like, you could totally have Judy come back just years and years and years later even. Mm -hmm. And maybe someone else is living there now. Yeah. And she's the new caretaker for the dolls.
1: Or maybe just the dolls have taken over.
0: So if you hear this, we have the ideas.
1: (laughs) Come pay us for them.
0: (laughs) I personally loved it. Okay, conventionally I can say. So bad, it's good. Yes. Because there's a lot of quirkiness. Yeah. But the idea of, like, these judgments of the the pure of heart and, like, I loved how you could really – there wasn't really mixed bags in here, the cast, if you think about it. It was, like, no. Judy and Ralph were good. Everyone else was bad. And then the doll makers were just the doll makers doing their job. Yep. Weeding out the bad folks and letting the good ones go. Just that, and then the practical effects, and I enjoyed the score, and I, I love, you know I love closed set, you like do. closed settings. So it's all, almost all in this house with, like, this small group of people. I love those kind of stories. So I'm kind of, like, right in the middle of just good, and so bad it's good.
1: I'm going to say so bad it's good, but I really enjoyed it.
0: You did. Good. So for, you know, I never really mentioned this, but this whole segment started because I love old, goofy horror movies, and I would always convince Ami to watch them with me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And eventually, I feel like they kind of have grown on her a little bit, but I started this with with that kind of intention, so I try to find ones that are special, and I, I'm always happy when you think it's so bad? It's good. <laughs> go watch Dolls from 1987.
1: We dare you.
0: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Anomalous Waves. Don't forget to check our show notes for all of our references for today's episode, as well as links to our patron or go to patreon.com/anomalouswaves. Our email anomalouswaves at gmail.com
1: if you want follow us on social media or shoot us an email with a spooky story
0: make sure and you know tell your tell your friends about our podcast if they like weird stuff just tell them about it just be like hey listen to this podcast these people talk about weird stuff
1: once again I dare you
0: <laughs> <laughs> alright thanks so much for listening have a good one bye
1: go shish putt Oh, <laughs> my <laughs>